Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. and the author of USA Today Best-Selling Mysteries. Um, and then she lists some mysteries, and I love this because all of them are kind of spin-offs from the one the, a series that went before, and I want to ask her about that, but before, uh, welcome, Pamela. Say hi. <laughs> hi, Libby. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Oh, listen, this is going to be fun because um, I know you have, you have your own show, on authors on the air. So before we get into this, let me get the housekeeping off. Uh, let me get the housekeeping done. And I need to tell you that this is a trademark copyrighted podcast solely owned by the Authors on the Air Network. That's it. Okay, Pamela, um, you um, have an amazing background. Where did you grow up? I grew up mostly in Texas, but a little bit in Wyoming and Minnesota. And so I've, I've, got, um, I've got this great love for, for Wyoming that comes out in some of my books and Texas as well. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're not write, writing, you have a lot to do with um, horses. What do you guys do with your horses? Oh, we love them to death, but <laughs> we've got these big draft cross horses. I mean, they're monsters, and we love like, to – are, are they like the bigger ones? They're not the Clydesdales. Are they bigger than Clydesdales? They are basically like if you crossed a Clydesdale with a normal horse, and you end up with something that looks like a draft horse but is – small enough that you can get on them if you get a good running start. <laughs> we, and we ride them, we trail ride up in the mountains. My husband and I like to take off a couple of weeks at a time in the summer, and we'll just take the dogs and the horses and set up a base camp and let it rock. I, it's just awesome. Oh, that, that, and you also have five kids, right? We do, but they're all grown up. Thank you, God. <laughs> But I, I don't know how you did. How many books did you publish? 
I have, let's see, there's 17 novella, uh, 17 novels and a novella and a short story out with the 18th novel coming out uh, in April. But there's also six nonfiction, and then there's this other sort of kind of nonfiction that I wrote back when I was a lawyer. So it's a lot of books, however many that added up to. Yeah, um, I don't know. I wasn't counting, but I'm sure one of our <laughs> listeners can count. Um, okay, so a lot of your books are spinoffs from an earlier series. Why is that? I fell in love with my characters, and every time I sat down to write a new book, I already had characters in my head that I wanted to revisit that maybe hadn't been the stars of the earlier shows. And I also, at that point in time, I had trouble getting past a three-story um, arc or a three-act arc in my stories. And so I'd get to three on a protagonist, and I'd be like, eh, you know, with, with, with great respect to Janet Ivanovich and, and Sue Grafton, how do they get to 26? You know, I, I can't do it. So I switched up characters. But now I'm starting to – I'm starting the fourth book on a series right now, and it's not killing me. So I guess I do have it in me after all. You do have it in you. It's just you have to write – you have to wait for the right story. Exactly. And I've found a character now that the stories just keep coming, and I'm not tired of writing them. And I, it may be because you'll – I think you may, may really relate to this. I was writing single point-of-view books for the first – 15 novels and novella and short story. And so you get so in that character's head, it's like you've written three books each time you write one. And I switched to writing multiple points of view, and it kept my attention better. I was able to just oh, go so with much. it. I, I did exactly the same thing. On my Ellie Foreman series, I, I wrote it in first person. And by the fourth, well, she was also an amateur sleuth, but by the fourth book, I'm turning backflips to try to find a, a, a reason for her to get involved in a crime investigation and B, you know, tell me, tell me there isn't just Ellie Foreman in the world. So when, <laughs> I wrote, when I wrote the first Georgia Davis book, which you were kind enough to say you're reading, I decided that um, I was always going to write in third person. And I do that now with all of my, all of my stories and books, which you write so much less fatigued. I just yes. don't get the fatigue that I that I got before writing, and I loved going deep into these characters, and and I got a lot of feedback from readers that they loved this single point of view. But I just can't keep doing it. I just can't. No, I, I totally get that. And it really ups the pacing of the book when you switch points of view to other people. It's it really I find people really respond when they say, "Oh, it's fast, so fast, fast paced." So exactly. Yours was exactly the same way. So let's talk a little bit about Switchback and Patrick Flint. That's a new series for you, right? It's a new series for me, and I am so in love with writing the time period. It's set in the 70s. Back yeah. before we had, thank you, God, that before we had um, cell phones and texting and everything else, and, and even fax machines weren't, uh, you know, something. So you, you're, you're back to old-time sleuthing, if you will, without everybody knowing everything before it happened, no Twitter. And I'm back in Wyoming, which is where, where I live half the time now, and also where this, these books are set. And between that and the switching to multiple points of view – and then the big kicker, which was I went totally off the script. I dropped three books I was in the process of writing, 
and wrote with my heart. I had a, a personal situation that led me to write these books. And it yeah. was just, for me, it was magic. Really? Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that ringing sound in the background. I'm oh. turning it off. It was my back <laughs> So, You're going to hear yeah. cats and dogs in my background, everybody. I apologize. I've got four kittens running around me and a Boston Terrier. Somebody's going to make noise. Okay. All right. So people understand that. Um, so the book starts out, I love the beginning where Patrick, he, it's very funny. A doctor is treating a horse. <laughs> so I'm an East Coast city girl. You know, mm-hmm. does that happen in real life? Well, that's the million-dollar question that launched these books, and the answer is not only does it, but it was my dad's story. My dad was a doctor in Wyoming when I was a kid, and I just was fascinated with all of the stories that he had that were things I didn't even remember, as well as all our family stories, and that's what started these books. So when he's treating that horse, that's just one of the favorite stories I hear him telling everybody all the time. The There's a, there's a vignette also in that chapter about um, – Chris Ledoux, who was a very famous singer and rodeoer, and um, if if you've ever um, even listened to contemporary Garth Brooks, you've heard of Chris Ledoux because they were buddies before Chris passed away. Well, my dad treated him um, when he was the national champ saddle bronc rider and never knew that he was the national champ saddle bronc rider. He just knew he was this kid that came in every week, got a new cast on his foot, and then would come back the next week because he'd cut it off and ridden in another rodeo and needed it back on. <laughs> so it's just fun stuff like that and it made me want to set these books in that time period and in that place. Yeah. Rough and tumble. So um, he, he manages to uh... – treat the horse and the horse is doing a lot better and so I'm thinking okay this is going to be kind of a fun book and very quickly turns deadly serious and I loved that I mean I loved being surprised at where you took the story you want to tell us a little bit about it without spoilers Sure. So for starters, that seems to kind of be my shtick, to try to suck people into something quirky about setting and character and then pull the rug out from under them with whatever the crime is when you're thinking, this is going to be a feel-good book, and then somebody starts, you know, one person dies and then another dies. But in this case, you have a situation where the dad, the doctor, has some time off and he wants to take his family camping in the mountains. The wife doesn't want to go. At the same time, there is news that there's an escaped convict that is uh, loose. And in fact, he's treating in the emergency room um, the deputy that was attacked in the escape. And so they head up into the mountains. Um, He and his family sands the wife who (laughs) backs out at the last second. And from there, everything pretty much just goes to hell. <laughs> yeah, it really did. And um, it got very suspenseful. And the fact that I have never been to Wyoming, and I know it's not a densely populated state, so I would venture to guess that a lot of our readers haven't been there either. The way that you describe the settings, well, I mean, there was suspense even in the settings with all the rocks, the wind, and the temperature changes. I mean, I was I was bowled over by it. It was wonderful. Thank you. That makes me so happy. And and thank you, Wyoming, for being just absolutely perfect as you are for creating that atmosphere because it is a um, 
It's a throwback state in the ter- in the sense that even today, living up there, I feel like everything is 50 years ago, and and I love that. I love. Um, stepping back in time just by, you know, by living up there. But also, it is not an easy place to live. It is extremes, extremes of beauty, of temperature, of wind. Um, and people rely on each other because you are, de- you know, less less densely populated. You don't have the same access to services. And it creates a, a feeling of suspense and danger in everything you do. I love it. I love it for fiction, and I love it in real life. Oh, it's, it, it was amazing. I, you know, I, is there a real town called Buffalo or did you make that up? There really is, and I grew up there. And, there, I, you know, I'm sure you do the same thing. I wrestled with what to make real and what not to make real. And because, I'll tell you the truth, when I wrote these books, I didn't think I was even going to publish them. I was doing these books for my dad. And, and, you know, it goes back to the advice I've always given other writers in my writing workshops, which is write from your heart, and good things happen. And yet so often I find myself thinking, what do I write next? And I'm writing from pressure, from a script, from a I loved this character, character, write more of them, you know, kind of thing from readers. But this time I dropped everything I was doing, and I wrote from my heart, and then I said, you know what? It isn't my normal thing, but I'm going to publish these after all. I'm going to, I, in lawyer speak, that's I'm going to really screw up my also bots on Amazon. Amazon. I'm going to go. I'm going to go uh, thriller light. I'm going to go western. Well, I did, and it's the best selling thing I've ever done. It's just gone like crazy, and and I think that it's so much of that writing from the heart comes through in the story, and some of the other pieces you're talking about, like the the innate suspense of writing and that time period in the, in that place and, and things like that did me some favors. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, now are you um, working on a second Patrick Clint book? It just came out. I'm so excited. It's called snake oil. And, and I've done something different with these books too, in the sense that I'm just pretty much letting them rip. I'm not doing any big fanfare on the release, and I'm just letting readers find them. Now, I say that, and you and I both know that means I'm still doing a whole lot of work behind the scenes, but I'm not going out on Facebook and saying, I've got a new book. I'm just letting it rip. And um, Snake Oil is a follow-up that occurs about uh, six months later, middle of the winter, and Patrick is making just a quick trip over to the um, Wind River Indian Reservation where he volunteers because they're underfunded and underserved when it comes to health care. And it's just going to be a quick trip, and he'll be right back. <laughs> and everything uh-huh. goes to hell. So um, that's the one that just came out. And I'm writing the, the third right now, which is called Sawbones. And I'm having a ball with it. Um, I can't, I, the, the, my, my favorite thing about it is the ending, and I can't give that away. The whole book <laughs> was written with the goal of getting to this ending, which I don't often do. And so that one's going to come out in April. And then, um, then I've got three more that are outlined and ready to go. And, and as long as I'm having fun with them, I'm going to keep doing them because it's become – my father's very ill. And, um, and that's what led to these books was wanting to do something when I could do nothing, you know, uh, I couldn't do anything to make him not sick, but I could devote the time that I was working to something that felt like it was for him. So I wrote the book I thought he'd want about the people I thought he'd want to read. I wasn't thinking about readers or anything else. I just thought, what is Dad like? And Dad likes suspense, but without 
a serial killer. <laughs> he does not yeah. like the whole serial killer thing. So no, no bad guy point of view. Okay. And now I've got to have a hopeful ending because he likes hopeful endings. And I have to have characters that, while they're authentic, are redeemable. And that was the whole thing. And, and oh, no, there was one more, and that was Dad Likes Joe Pickett. Joe Pickett is a series <laughs> written by C.J. Box. And so, oh, do you know CJ? I bet you guys have met a oh, few times. Yeah, yeah, I love CJ. But Dad likes. In fact, before I ever met CJ, Dad had given me all his books and um, said, "I really like these." And you know, meanwhile, his daughter's an author, and I'm thinking, "What about your daughter's books?" <laughs> but anyway, he gave me this stack and said, "I really like these." So I kind of sat there and thought, "What can I create with all of this that is going to rock my dad's socks off and that he can help me with?" So I could sit down and say, Dad, I've got this medical scene, and I need you to make it authentic. Or, Dad, I've got a hunting scene. I need it to be authentic. It's been awesome. So as long as we're having fun, we're going to keep doing that. Oh, that's great. All right. Now we've got to get to uh, one of the – you write so quickly. How long does it take you to write a novel, and how the heck do you do it? I uh, the first thing I do is before I ever write I let the characters in the story sit with me and I storyboard them with my husband who's extremely um he's st- extremely good at finding flaws which is great for somebody that tends to be character driven that writes mysteries so he helps me tighten up a plot. Once we once we've talked that through um then I start writing and I give myself a day to outline, and then I'll do a first draft in no more than 30 days. And I don't nope, How? I'm not just. It's just it's a butt in the chair discipline that's come over time. I sure couldn't do it with the first five books. You know what I mean? And so it's just a matter of I've gotten where I don't care how bad it is. I just know that I need a hunk of clay to work with and that I'm staring at a blank screen. I don't even have my hunk of clay. So I get my hunk of clay in 30 days. How many hours a day? Well, my goal is on any given day to do about 3,000 words. I'm, I'm shooting for a 50,000 word first draft. Sorry, okay. readers, this may get boring for a second. <laughs> We're going to talk technical. I'm shooting for about 3,000 words a day. And so normally that's going to take me four hours. I write fast, and I just let it flow. I just, like, I try to clear all the blockages in my mind and just tell the story as fast as I can. I don't really worry about description, um, you know, and I just, it's a lot of dialogue and a lot of um, changing of the scene setting and just getting down the bones. Then I come back, and I spend about the same amount of time, about four hours a day, because my real diminishing point of return after four hours, I I don't know what, what your uh, average butt in the chair is, but my creativity goes to hell. Ten minutes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? So, but it's about four hours, and then I'll do the second draft, and I use the same time frame. So I am in and out on that book in two months and, uh, and thinking about another. And um, I don't publish every two months because I give myself a break. I feel like my brain gets compressed, like I beat on it with a hammer when I do that. So I need a month or two where I don't do that at all. I do other stuff, and then I'll turn around and do it again. Okay, so when you're storyboarding, how long is the storyboard process where you're figuring out plot and what character you do? Oh, it's always going on. You know what I mean? It's like I'm talking about it while I'm writing this one. I'm starting to make notes on the next one, and I'm – 
occasionally talking to my husband or my dad on walks about it. Walking or driving is my best place to get their attention. And then when I really sit down and get serious, it's a day or two to storyboard and outline. But it's really been a couple of months. You know what I mean? Because I've been thinking it and living it and breathing it and feeling it. And, and, you know, there's all that resistance that comes. It's time to start the new book. You know, it's like it's killing me even though I love doing it, right? And, and I sit down in the chair, and if I'll just start it, 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 it's fast. But it's that whole get your butt in the chair. No, really, today, get your butt in the chair. But I want to go ride my horse. <laughs> you know, that's the tough part. Yeah, I can imagine. So, um... I know that you are a recovering lawyer, um, I and I, I, I want to ask you about being a lawyer, and then were you writing at the same time, or how did you start your author career? How did that begin? The author career had been going on as a deep, dark secret, the writing part of it, for mm, 10 years before I ever got serious about doing anything with the books. And it came about, I'd always been a writer, but my my husband and I married um, when I was 39. And he said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was thinking, well, I'm kind of accomplished and doing my thing here, babe. I am a grown up. And he said, no, what do you, what, what dreams are left unfulfilled? What do you want to do that you haven't done yet? So I said, okay, I want to run a marathon and I want to write a novel. And I'd always made it to like 100 pages and quit, you know, on the novel. So we ran a marathon on our first anniversary. And then on our oh. second anniversary, he said, where's your damn book? <laughs> <laughs> I was a lot more scared of writing a book than I was of training for a marathon because the, the price of failure was so much higher in terms of how I felt inside about myself. But I finally sat down and did it. And, um, and after that, they just came faster and faster. He's a great encourager. Um, Pam Stack will tell you that I go on and on about him ad nauseum, but he's worth it. He's a great encourager, and, um, and he's a great story partner. And so he's also a great model for what loving relationships are, are like. And so some of my books are, are quite romantic. Uh, Even though they're not romances. Will you lend them to me for a little while? (laughs) Yeah, sure. You know, when I teach classes to other writers, I always say, okay, for starters, everybody needs an Eric. And you just have to find your Eric. And maybe that's a writing buddy or whatever, because I've only got one of him. (laughs) And I'm not giving him away. He's pretty awesome. Um, And he he owned a bookstore uh, in his past life um, as as a hobby, a sideline, a way to lose money. So uh-huh. he had also a lot of insight into elements of publishing that I really had no clue about. So it's been a good match. And I was a lawyer at the time when we were when this was all first starting, and I was working full time and writing, and um, and it just was wonderful when that day came when I got to choose not to be a lawyer and just be a writer. How long? How long was that after you started writing that you were able to? Let's see, 2014. It was three years in. My first few books did really well. And because of that, it didn't take long till it was like, okay, well, I can make this trade off. I won't make as much money, but I'll be a lot happier. And then there came a period of time where it was like, damn, what happened to all that money? I'm not making any money anymore. Maybe I'm going to have to do something with my life. And now things are better again. So thank you to Katie Connell, my first protagonist, and now thank you to Patrick Flint. (laughs) 
for paying the bills. So um, where did you learn to write so well? I mean, it's one thing to write, and it's another thing to know the craft. And somewhere along the line, where did you learn the craft of writing? Because it's, their books, your books are very well written and very well crafted. Thank you very much. And I'm going to – I'm embarrassed to tell you the answer to this question because I have all the respect in the world for people that get an MFA, and honestly, I wish I had one, but I don't. And right. what, I, what I was was a student of the type of books that I like to, write, to read. I mean an obsessive reader. And, and I was also somebody who was not afraid to put in the work. So I became an obsessive writer. And I've got this theory that, you know, we've all got however many hundred thousands of words to go before we start to become who it is that our, our voice will be. Our story, you know, what kind of stories do we write? What kind of voice do we have? We can vary that up per protagonist or per series or, you know, different types of genres we attack. But there's something innately Libby about your books. There's something innately Pamela about mine. And I think that just comes with, with, with discipline and rigor and practice at the same time as critiquing with the best that you can possibly find, getting feedback from, you know, agents and editors and listening. Um, that's a skill that when I'm coaching other writers, I find is, is the biggest challenge is how well do we hear the feedback we're getting? How well can we inculcate that into our, um, I don't know, our way of looking at our own writing? Because it's sometimes very difficult to have somebody else criticize our babies. But I'm pretty open to um, negative feedback. And so I, I guess I did it the bootstrap way. And, yeah. and, wow. and it's working. Um, but sometimes I feel a little blue collar as far as a writer goes, you know, that I don't have the creds. Um, oh, yeah, you do. I don't, I never have that day either. I mean, I, I thanks through that door of writing. I never thought I would be writing ever. Yeah. I never thought that anyone would want to read what I wrote. I always knew I wanted to write for myself and and isn't it the most amazing thing that you spin a yarn and people, people reach out to you and say that I loved that, you know? Golly, it's we're so lucky. <laughs> so let me ask you, um, what is the what do you think your strength is as a writer? And then I'm gonna also ask you, what do you think is your biggest challenge as a writer? Ah, uh, okay. So my strength as a writer, hmm. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a good old writer. I'll tell you, I suck at everything, right, because that's what we think. But I'll tell you what other people say about my writing. Um, I'm told I write a, a fast-paced mystery that still doesn't stint on characterization. So I give you, to the best of my ability, characters that feel as real as if they were in your life. That's what I hope I'm doing, and that's what – when I won the Silver Falchon in 2017, that's the feedback I got from the judges was your character's – your characters were real, and they stayed with us. Um, my weakness as a mystery thriller and suspense writer is plot. I need my husband. If I tell him if something ever happens to him, I'm done. <laughs> because, <laughs> because for me, I think my mind tries to find answers to simplify as I go. It's like, well, this life is getting way too complicated. Well, I don't want to add any more stress. You know? And my husband mm -hmm. comes in and goes, no, 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 ramp it up. You know, smack her around, smack him around. And so my, um, my weakness really is, is staying on point with, uh, with plot. Oh, gosh. Oh, 
you're one hey, well, you do it well. Between you and your husband, you do it well. Thank um, you. Let's talk just for a minute about your incredibly successful podcast, Wine, Women, and Writing. Where did that come from? And and I am so jealous. You just got the perfect title. I want that title. <laughs> it's so much fun. It was like the eleventh one that I um, suggested to Pam. And yeah. Pam Pam Stack is our producer, and and she's also a podcaster for anybody that's like, why do they keep mentioning Pam? She's awesome. And I had been on Pam's show, I guess, two or three years ago. Pam reached out to me and said, I've read your books. I want you on the show. I went on the show, and then she said, I want you to have your own show because you have the gift of gab. And so at first I was like, oh, what a terrible idea because I'm already too busy. <laughs> and then, then I started thinking about it and thought, I am a woman that lives rurally. You know, you talked about being from the East Coast. My, I split my time between a town of 500 and a town of 300, one in Texas and one in Wyoming. And so I don't get face-to-face with other authors, and I, yet I used to be so involved when I lived in Houston and really felt like it was important to have that tie to your, your writing community and, and other writers. And I thought, well, damn it, that's exactly what I need, is I need to have a reason to be meeting other authors. I need to have a reason to go to conferences <laughs> and meet other authors. So I did it, and it's been awesome. <laughs> it's yeah, been so yeah. cool. Do you love it? Do you love doing it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've listened to it a couple times, and I am inspired by you. I mean, really. Oh, thank Plus you. Video, and video I was asking if you liked doing your own show, but I'll take that. that thank you. <laughs> no, I love doing my own show because I get to talk to authors that I always, you know, and I want to know how, what makes you tick, and I want to know how you write. And But you're doing video podcasts, which is pretty pretty amazing. I wish I had the guts to try it. I found that once I got over worrying about what people thought of me and how I looked, which honestly was my hang-up for a while. It's like, oh, God, no one wants to look at me. I don't even want to look at me, and I sure don't want to put on makeup. And, you know, the things that maybe I don't want to do video. And feeling overexposed, like I'm throwing myself out there at the world too much. But when I started thinking about, well, these aren't really about me. <laughs> these are fangirl podcasts. These are about the person I'm interviewing. And so if people watch them, what they're getting is they're getting that person. I'm a conduit. And, um, and once I got over that and started doing them, I found that they get a lot of engagement. They get instantaneous reaction from people that might not have otherwise watched them on Facebook. So this podcast still lives on. It has more legs. But the video has been fun. And I've also found that my relationships with the people that I'm doing the show with are stronger for some reason when we see each other. I I just, for some reason, we become buddies in a deeper way. And that, honestly, that has been wonderful. These have become some of the people that are blurbing my books um, or that are doing really wonderful, nice things for me that I don't deserve. And I didn't, um, it it exceeded, exceeded my wildest expectations as far as, the way in which sometimes it feels like when you put something out there and you give, there are times where you think, man, this is so lopsided. I'm giving and giving and giving and nothing's coming back. But with the podcast, it's opposite. I feel I, I like feel really exactly nice. And we, we did, I was part of a TV show. It was a streaming show in Chicago for two years. It was wonderful. So I know exactly what you're talking about when you say there's a stronger relationship when you're sitting across from someone. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I miss I miss doing the TV part of it, but um, you know what will be will be. I'm, I'm at least I have a podcast. 
right yeah, now. Yeah, and, and one of these days, you and StreamYard are going to become buddies, and you'll do this uh, video casting too. I just see it, and I just know it. <laughs> it's fun. It's easy. And you know what I found that I, I always hated going to conferences because I do country girl introvert pretty well. And I can get up and speak in front of a group, but one-on-one conversations make me nauseous. So conferences for me were just reasons to go in my hotel room and cry. And I started going to conferences, and instead of trying to strike up casual conversations, I had a reason to talk to people, and that was, hey, I've heard of you. I've read your books. You want to go in this other room when you have a free minute and and shoot a short – interview here's my show here's the information on it and of course nobody says no right of course well what a whole new set of friends yeah it's been great well you know what i'm going to have to pick your brain another time because we're running out of time about about stream yard and um figure out because i am a technical dummy so <laughs> anyway this has just been delightful pamela i have so enjoyed this and i want to do it again uh when your new book comes out when the third book comes out and so um, will you come back? I will. And, and please, let's, uh, let's have you over into my little corner as well, Wine, Women, and Writing, when your next release comes out. Okay. And maybe we can, I can learn about StreamYard that way. That'd be That's great. Right. On the fly. Right. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for being here. And uh, folks, thanks for listening. I just love this woman and I love what she has to say. And I hope you do too. And Second Sunday Books will be back again next month. So don't miss us again. And everybody have a great evening, afternoon, morning, whenever you're listening to this. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.